Now that is a great plague. I'm Torin Atkinson. Why, Pestis? Why? I'm Joe Fulgham. Is that a toad in your pants, or are you just happy to see me? I'm Dr. Jenna Kavik. The catacombs in Vienna. Worst human pyramid ever. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. The bubonic plague. Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. The uh, origin of the word bubonic is characterized by swelling in the groin from the Latin bubo, Ooh, which means was... owl, doesn't it? Does groin. It? Oh, it means, means groin. groin. Oh, okay. groin. I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, uh, a swelling in your chest area, bubo. Oh, in the boob. Mm-hmm. That's that's boob plague. That's that... different than bubonic plague. Oh, okay, the O makes all the difference. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sounds like we have Dr. Jenna here with us today. You bet. Coming back to talk about some nasty bacteria. Oh, bubonic plague is a bacterium? Well, it's a disease caused by a bacterium, specifically Yersinia pestis. Yersinia pestis. And just to confuse things, it used to be called Pastorella pestis. That is confusing. Pastorella? Well, it was discovered in 1894 by Alexandra Yersin, hence the Yersinia pestis. But he was working at the Pastor... No, Yersinia pestis. (laughs) He was working at the Pasteur Institute, hence the Pastorella pestis. Oh, because I thought Pastorella was like (laughs) Cinderella's Italian cousin or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have a big bowl of Pastorella when I get home. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I've got a couple of phobias that are related. Uh, I think we've mentioned emetophobia, which is the fear of being sick and fear of others being sick and the fear of vomit. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanatophobia being the fear of death. And musophobia being the fear of rats or mice, which is one of the disease vectors for the bubonic plague. What the fear of the dark ages, which is where a lot of this happened. Dark ageophobia? Yeah. <laughs> but gonna... there were three bubonic plagues. There were. If we want to get into that right now. Okay. Well, and they really come up, they sort of resurged in waves in various areas all over the world throughout long periods of history. Yeah, there was the Plague of Justinian, okay. which is 541 to 542 AD, mm-hmm. estimated to have killed approximately 25 million people in the empire alone. Killed how, up, how was Justine Bateman involved? Uh, she was there. Okay. <laughs> Killed, uh, she had the boobs. Uh, yeah. Made the bubonic plague. Uh-huh. Killed up to 5,000 people per day in Constantinople. Killed perhaps 40% of the city's inhabitants. Killed as many as 25 million people across the world. Okay. And for the record, there were only about 75 million people in Europe at the time. So less than half. Yeah, it's a big deal. All right, okay. Better, better odds than a coin flip. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the Black Death in Europe between 1348 and 1350, the worst human disaster in Europe's history, destroying a third of the population. All right. Depending on the geography, some places was a lot closer to 80, some places a lot right. closer to 20%, but, you know. Yeah. If you include average you know, a, a vast, vast geographic area, we're going to average to about 30%. And then there was the third plague pandemic in the Yunnan province of China in 1855, killed more than 12 million people in India and China alone, and was considered active until 1959. Oh, 1855 to 1959? It's 104 years of plague? 
Well, it tends to resurge in waves, like we were right. talking about. So that first plague, that Justinian plague, actually, uh, aside from the peak that happened in those first couple of years, then sort of there was another wave about every generation until about 750 okay. AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then aside from the Black Death, more recently, everyone you know comes up with these incredibly creative names for these events. So the Great Plague of Seville in 1647, the Great Plague of London, 1665, the Great Plague of Vienna, 1679, right. of Riga, 1710, of Marseille, 1720. So what we learned this is the 17th century, they didn't have writers. They didn't exist. Yeah. Right? Lots of plagiarists. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Well, in fact, the term Black Death is recent. During the plague, it was called the Great Mortality or the Pestilence. The Pestilence, hence the Fourth Horseman. Mm -hmm. No, Pestilence isn't the Fourth Horseman. He's the like third or second. Well, they can travel in different... Mix it up. Yeah, maybe they're like geese. Yeah, fly in a V. (laughs) Sort of like take turns. (laughs) Yeah, the the Four Geesemen. How does the bacteria... Uh, let's talk about the medically side of it. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about Gersteria uh, pestis and how it causes this disease. So first off, we've we've mentioned the word bubonic plague and mm. these bubons, or bubos rather. This is actually one of three disease manifestations caused by this bacteria. Right. So there is the bubonic plague, the septicemic plague. And the pneumonic plague, and these are all caused by the same bacterium. The pneum- right. pneumonic plague was caused by that uh, Keanu Reeves movie, Johnny Mnemonic, right? Yeah. It's a plague of your memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why nobody remembers that movie. It was all <laughs> wiped from our brains well, five seconds after we watched it. Manifestations of this disease that could happen because every once in a while you can get, you know, neural involvement, you can get infection of the brain and whatnot, causes all kinds of havoc. Uh, what I've learned about <laughs> this why pestis bacterium is it really just unleashes an entire shit show on your body right. and it does so in a specific way and it's oh it's so sneaky the mortality rate for humans who caught the bubonic plague was 30 to 75 percent okay the untreated n- right yeah the pneumonic plague killed 90 to 95 percent of its victims and, and it's it's called that i don't think we mentioned it. it's called that because it gave you pneumonia basically that's when it got into your lungs right okay yeah, yeah it's pneumonic yeah. <laughs> we made our jokes, but yeah. Uh, and the septicemic plague killed nearly 100% of the people it infected and still not, has no cure to this day. There's, wow. I've read sort of conflicting reports of the severity of both the pneumonic and the septicemic forms of the disease. So often the septicemic disease could kill you before you even get any symptoms. Yes. Well, wow, you know, in some sneaky. ways, no, in some ways, much a blessing. So wait, so <laughs> hold on. So the septicemic plague is kind of like the ninja plague. Yes. That's right. They kill you yeah. before you even know it's there. But it also pretty much manifests in the later stages of the bubonic form as well. So if it goes untreated, if the infection gets bad enough, you're pretty much going to get the septic, septicemic, I can pronounce this, form, and that will basically kill you. Oh. And so then, it's not even necessarily <laughs> the bubonic part of it that is going to wipe you out. It's gonna yeah, finish it'll you transition off. into right. septicemic, and then exactly. that will be the one that finishes you off. It's the coup de gras. And these three forms depend on how it enters the body, right? The, the bubonic is typically from the, the flea bites and things like that. So, it, so let's talk a little bit about, yeah, that life cycle. Okay. So, or death cycle. Yes. You talked a little bit about the rats being a vector. I wouldn't call the rat so much a vector as a carrier for the vector, the vector being the flea. The vector is the flea, not the rat. 
Although the rat does serve a really important role as a reservoir. So we've talked about this concept before a little bit where there's an animal that can live with an infection and survive that infection. And Uh then it serves as this place where even if, you know, the hosts that are being infected and becoming sick die, then the bacterium that causes the disease is able to survive because it has animals that can survive with it in it. Right. So there are both susceptible and resistant populations of rats. And the susceptible ones serve as these transitional vectors. So they'll die and then the fleas will go jump on humans. And the resistant ones serve as these reservoirs where the bacteria can actually just live in the circulatory system of the rat. And then a flea will bite that rat and then pick it up and then bite a human and give it to a human? Right. But it is so much more intense than that. So... (laughs) I was, uh, imagine, uh, knock me over the feather. Imagine me oversimplifying things. (laughs) So imagine yourself as a flea and you're like, you know, this pristine virgin flea. Yeah, okay. Super happy. I'm playing bass for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is me jumping. And. (laughs) So now you you go find yourself a nice juicy rat to chew on. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Again, still the bass player for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So now Uh you are chewing on this rat and all of a sudden. Having a blood meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbeknownst to you, this rat is actually infected with Y. pestis. Right. Okay. So now you're going about your business. You're being a flea. You're living on the rat. I'm fleeing it <clears> up. You bet. And then all of a sudden you notice something in your throat. Oh. <coughs> it's a tiny frog in my flea throat. It's, and a, this, it's a plague ball. And this is because one of the proteins that this bacteria produces and secretes into the belly of the flea causes a biofilm or like this sticky film of bacteria to form on the valve that's between the esophagus and the midgut of the flea. And it basically catches all this clotted blood and all these bacteria grow there. And it stops the flea from being able to feed properly because it's got this blockage at the bottom of its esophagus. That just makes the flea even more hungry, though. That's the thing. And it gets so hungry and it exhibits these ravenous feeding behaviors. And so it bites and it bites and it bites and it pumps all this blood down its esophagus. But then that can't get into the stomach, but it... Dislodges all these bacteria that are in that biofilm on that valve, and then it pukes it all up onto the fresh bite wound, and that's how it infects a new host. This is like the zombies in Twenty Eight Days Later. (laughs) This is exactly like the zombies in Twenty Eight Days Later. Wow! So just bites and bites and bites, and And then pukes up on you. So it also pisses off the flea as well as the rat and the human. Right, and you don't want to piss off a flea. (laughs) I don't want to piss off a flea. I saw Bugs Life. They, they do circus tricks. They're uh, very crafty little buggers. So then all of a sudden, you know, you're a human. You've been bitten by this flea. It's puked up its bacteria and clotted blood all over you. The flea's very unhappy. It's probably going to starve to death soon. Uh-huh. Um, you don't care about that as a human. <laughs> and so now the bacteria sort of gets into a whole new mode of instead of secreting the bacteria, the proteins that let it survive in the stomach of the flea, it starts making all these proteins that are going to help it survive in the human. And all this is triggered by the human body temperature. It tells the bacteria like, bam, okay, now you're in a human. Now you have to produce the right virulence factors to live here. Mm, Bacteria are totally amazing in what they can do. This one's tricky. Like this one is- So uh, sneaky. He's like, he he doesn't just have one game. He's got multiple games. Oh, wait, there is so much more. (laughs) So- It's like, let's make a deal. Only like 
horrible killing let's make a deal. So usually when there are, you know, foreign substances that are introduced yeah. into your your blood system uh-huh. and whatnot, you have immune cells, white blood cells that go and their job is to, you know, then encase those yeah. and take them to lymph nodes. Um, and then it's all processed and it's part of activating the adaptive immune system and antibodies and all the rest of it. So the Y pestis actually produces all these factors that makes it really hard for those bacteria to actually engulf them and kill them. So they're able to stay alive while interacting with the immune cells and just sort of hitch a ride in the lymphatic system over to the lymph nodes. Oh, the lymph nodes. (laughs) Oh, wait. So then they're able to stick to the macrophages. Okay. What's a macrophage? These are the white blood cells that... Big eaters. Yes. They are phagocytic. So that means that they eat other cells. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. So they basically engulf another cell and take it into them. But the Y pestis prevents this from happening, but is able to actually stick to the macrophage. Okay. And then it has a special secretion system, like a hypodermic needle, Uh that it sticks into your macrophage and injects all kinds of things into it that screw up everything that a macrophage is supposed to do. So it actually attacks your immune system. It does. Wow. And it manipulates it in so many ways. So first off, macrophages, you know, they secrete all these different substances that then communicate with other cells in your body that help the whole immune system to work. Okay. It screws up that system. It also injects... So they just get the wires crossed about what they're supposed to do. This is like a landlord. Like the human body is the landlord. And this is like that one bad tenant that makes like the whole building like unlivable, right? (laughs) They're just like... Cooking, you know, onions and curry at three in the morning. I thought you were going to say meth. They're cooking <laughs> meth. Hey, fellow fellow oh, renters, want some like meth? meth? Smoking meth, right? Uh, so that they're up at three in the morning cooking curry, and uh, they fill the the dumpster with all that recyclable material. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're just the worst. But then they're also going and doing things like, I don't know, knocking down walls because they inject proteins that actually make holes in the membrane of the macrophages. So then. They can, they, like, you know, cells shouldn't have holes in them. And then through those holes, they inject more proteins that do things like trick that macrophage into basically committing suicide. And they trigger oh. a cascade that triggers apoptosis, which is cell, like when the cell bursts and dies. Well, it's, it's right in the name. It's apoptosis. It bursts like a water balloon, right? So, yeah. So it screws up everything that the macrophage is supposed to do with other cells and then causes it to like kill itself. So you get the bubonic plague, it attacks your immune system, and then you'll probably catch a whole bunch of other things. Is that what happens? Because you don't, you don't have resistance anymore? There's not a lot of time. Okay. <laughs> well, you wish you had time to catch There's always a silver else. lining <laughs> Look at it this way, you'll be dead before the flu bothers you I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping count So far this bacteria has like seven different games here Like usually they're very single purpose Like all the other episodes we've done with you so far uh, They all seem to have like one They're kind of like single minded in purpose, right? They do one thing that has like a bunch of trigger down effects This is like First, you screw up the flea, and then you make the flea vomit you up, and then the temp- body temperature changes, and then so then you know that you've got to start attacking white blood cells, and then you like strike them with a hypodermic needle and make them commit suicide. <laughs> and this is very complicated. This is like the plot to an M Night Shyamalan travesty. Well, that's the thing is when people talk about bacteria being you know simple organisms, right. they're not at all. 
And they, so this bacterium has. I'm a simple organism. (laughs) You want an example of a simple organism? Put me in a box. Send me to a scientist. You wish you had an idea of injecting something. Right? Something. I would never be able to come up with this little You can't plot. tell what temperature it is. I know. Evolution's amazing. Give you a couple million years. So then how does this all end up? Like uh, once the cells, uh, the the um, the magistrates. Phagocytes? The phagocytes. No, the, macrophages? The macrophages. <laughs> once they start self-destructing, what then does the uh, Y. pestis hope to accomplish? The sort of symptom that we get from this. I mentioned that, you know, they travel, the macrophages are going to travel through the lymphatic system right. up to the lymph node. So yeah. this is often why, this is why the disease has that groin term, because a lot of the bites would happen on the legs and the lymph vessels in the legs drain up to the lymph nodes in the groin. Right. So whatever lymph node is sort of the closest point to the bite is usually where you'll get, you know, the most growth of these bacteria in that lymph node. And that's what causes the buboes, which the are the bu- giant pus-filled giant bumps. Giant pus-filled painful swellings around the groin, neck, and armpit. And they turn like black or something too, don't they? No, oh, they turn all the colors of the rainbows, <laughs> if Hollywood has taught me anything. I think they're sort of, yeah, like they're smooth red swellings. Okay. So, um, Ring around the rosy, oh, yes. pocket full of hosey, According to Snopes. Husha, husha, we all fall down. The fact that that song is about the Plague? Black Death is a myth. Really? really? Well, what else is it, it is, about? It is probably a myth. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's, they don't know. What happened is kids have been singing it for hundreds of years, and nobody up until, uh, boy, I don't have in front of me, about the 1950s, I think it was, mentioned that it was about the Black Death. Like, nobody wrote down this simple children's song as that. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, somebody wrote this book and mentioned that. And mm-hmm. that's kind of entered uh, into, our, popular... into pop culture. And it might be true, but we don't know for sure. It seems to fit. But it also could have been dancing was forbidden. And so the children would play this game that was like dancing, but without music, and allow right. them to do all the stuff that was like dancing and kind of get away with it. Okay, That's another theory. All right. So there's no definitive documentation from back in the day. Yeah, it's it's really hard to say. All right. Well, I'm going to say it right here. Snopes is wrong. That's exactly what it's about. <laughs> okay. I well, when we start it. talking about a lot of the symptoms and possible cures and stuff, I mean, the, the lyrics, if you can call them lyrics. I don't even know what a rosy is to have a ring around. It's like the giant red swelling in your like, armpit or groin. That's a rosy. Sure, <laughs> a giant red swell. This is it had a yeah. red red ring around it. This yeah. the this is the uh, the correlation here. So ring around the rosy <laughs> is is supposed to be a symptom of the disease was a red rash in the shape of a ring on the skin, uh, a pocket full of po- posies, pockets and pouches were filled with sweet smelling herbs due to the belief that the disease was transmitted through bad smells. Oh, the humors. Yeah, yeah. The My, humors. miasma. The miasma uh, theory. Ashes, ashes. The homes of the infected were burned to prevent spreading of the disease, or as a biblical refer- reference, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Or sometimes the line is written as achu, achu, in reference to the violent sneezing being another sign thought to be a symptom of the disease, and we all fall down. The disease killed everyone, young, old, rich, and poor. Or mm. the victims were sealed into their homes to await death. Many people are very skeptical of that, and... Children were apparently reciting this plague-inspired nursery rhyme for over 600 years before someone finally figured out what they were talking about, as the first known mention of a plague interpretation of Ring Around the Rosie didn't show up until James Lesor published The Plague and the Fire in 1961. All right. 
So it wasn't until then that somebody said, yeah, because, oh, this is about the plague. So again, it might be. Because for 600 years, everybody goes, ah, oh, they'll know what it's about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's no obvious. Need, no need to write it down. It's pretty obvious. I would have done tumor in my armpit. <laughs> I've got the plague. Ah, ah, I'm dying now. That would have been, they could have been a little clearer. <laughs> that is that is the next thickest hit. Let's let's make that happen. And we should add some more symptoms to yeah. that. Okay, let's right. do. Yeah, like black, dying, gangrenous extremities. Oh, right, oh. like fingers and toes and yes. legs and nose, arms. Nose, and... lips. Oh. So if you'll remember our leprosy episode, you'll and remember. I do. Oh, good. <laughs> you'll remember that, um, you know. There's a lot of involvement of the extremities, and it was because the bacterium could only live at those lower temperatures. Right. Different case with Y. pestis. So in this case, it's not the bacterium itself that's going to the extremities and causing this damage. Mm -hmm. It's actually – so this is where we get into the septicemic form of the disease, and it gets into the bloodstream – and it's basically – so there's bacteria in the blood and it's sort of disseminated all over the body. And so you get this disseminated intravascular coagulation. Say that again. Disseminated intravascular coagulation. Okay. Okay. So disseminated means spread. Intravascular means uh, – In the blood in vessels. bloodstream coagulation means your blood coagulates. Exactly. So you get these little, little clots all over that plug the capillaries right. that are in – your extremities and whatnot, and then that's where they're the thinnest. Yes, and then no. the blood supply cuts off entirely, and your skin rots while you're alive. Oh, boo! Bonic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Uh, they had another trick in this bag of tricks here. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, Black Death. <laughs> We thought you were going to be cool. What's up with this? Yeah, I thought it was going to be like Black Dynamite or something. You know. So that is the uh, bubonic and then the septicemic forms of the disease. And then if the, you know, we spread a little bit further through the body, we get what we call secondary uh, pneumonic plague. So secondary because it's sort of the, the secondary um, manifestation, yeah, of the disease. So it's going, this is where it hits your lungs. And yeah. basically, I mean, it just, at this point, if, if you've got secondary pneumonic plague, it's pretty much sort of taken over. It's it's right. it's feeling pretty comfortable in your body, which yeah. is probably why yeah. it has such high mortality rates. And so it just wreaks havoc in your lungs, and you get a lot of the same symptoms as in tuberculosis. You're coughing up blood. Right. Eventually, uh, instead of having sort of blood streaked sputum, you just start coughing up blood itself. Mm -hmm. You're vomiting blood. You have issues with your kidney and your spleen, uh, and the lovely part about this is that you can actually then bridge the gap. You can cut out the middleman. You can take away the flea. And all of a sudden, you can catch this by... Spitting up blood on another human? Or coughing and sneezing. Right. And the same way as tuberculosis is spread, someone else inhaling those droplets. And that's where you get primary pneumonic plague. So that's the bacteria traveling through the water droplets in your in your sneeze. Right. And your then just nesting offs. comfortably in your lungs. Right. And then you have these wonderful pulmonary macrophages that then can take it from there and start the whole thing all right. over again. So oh. is that this is how the Y pestis is trying to be fruitful and multiply is to be sneezed on or I guess if fleas can go onto your corpse or something like because because it has you die within like three days generally yeah, speaking you sure do so wow three days seriously yeah this is why as far as the disease 
sticking around throughout time, that population of animals that is resistant is really uh, important. Because right. you're able to have that reservoir that stays alive, that's able to sort of be kind of like a freezer stock, if you will, of, of right. this bacteria saying like, oh, you know, that's the, the stock. And every once in a while, you get a big outbreak. A lot of the rat hosts and the mouse hosts and the uh, other rodents as well will just die. And that's one of the things that people look for when they're going to a place where a plague has started to break out. And there are still thousands of cases every year is looking for like very localized, strong die-offs of st- small animals. Mm. Okay. Like as a as a sort of canary in the mine shaft kind of thing. Yeah, to be able to identify the specific um, source of infection in that particular environment. Right. What What can you do to fight the bubonic plague? What What How do you treat this? Antibiotics quickly. Right. Yeah. And then you're good to go. These days, it's we're pretty good. Yeah. As long as you get antibiotics, you'll be fine. It's about a one to fifteen percent mortality rate if you're treated. I'm suspecting that the um, the higher mortality rates are where... In developing uh, countries or stuff like that, where it's harder to get medicine. Or, or where it's not recognized as quickly. So maybe, yeah, yeah you're like you further have, into the incubation period. Because you have to get it right quickly. Because the yeah. longer you've got it, the more damage it's doing. Yeah. And that even if you get rid of the, the plague, you, you're still clotted. And, well, so, and the stronger foothold the bacteria has right. in your body in general. And yeah. So how do we... Um, uh, how do how, like what are, the, what are the early warning signs? Let's get all our hypochondriac listeners here thinking they have the plague. <laughs> What do we? Uh, what? What? What's a uh, the the red flag, if you will, the red swelling in your armpit, besides the red swelling in your armpit. And, or your groin, yeah. Or your groin. Well, that's a, a pretty good one, actually. So, unfortunately, a lot of the other symptoms of plague are very similar to a lot of other diseases, including the flu. So, Precisely. for example, bubonic plague. It has an incubation period of about two to six days. Uh, and this is when the bacteria are sort of replicating and gathering forces, so to uh-huh. speak. If we're going to continue with, you know, complete personification of these mm-hmm. bacteria. Yeah, might as well. And then sort of a lacquer, lack of energy and then around the end of that incubation period, so, you know, somewhere around four to six days, two to six days, you get suddenly a headache and chills uh-huh. and then you get those swelling of the lymph nodes and buboes and then you're like, okay, crap. Right. Yeah. Yeah, let's get on this. L- yeah. L- l- let's get me some, you know, gentamicin, streptomycin, pump some antibiotics in me and, and get rid of these that suckers. A, that was a common claim during the Great Plague of London was people, where's my streptomycin? Why has it not been invented yet? Why? I'm going to die. Yeah, once you know, once you've got the buboes in your groins or armpits, you know it's just not a regular old flu. I was in a, um, I was in London and I saw a, there was a plaque, a commemoration for like all the plagues that have like happened in London, like mm-hmm. all the sort of things and they they had the great plague and they they just they had them and they, it was funny because they were just like every like 150 years there was like another one and they just like said oh this is the number of people who died and that was the percentage of the population it just sort of had like a bunch of them i forget where i saw it but like each it was sort of like all these little plaques in turn right you could read about all the natural human disasters that have happened in london over the yeah. last you know mm-hmm. thousand years or so well and that's a good point as far as trying to diagnose as well it's like if the guy next to you has giant you know, buboes in his armpit, and you have a headache, (laughs) go get some antibiotics. The Great Plague of London from 1664 to 1666 was the last major epidemic of the bubonic plague to occur in the United Kingdom. Uh It occurred within the period of the second pandemic, which was an extended period of intermittent bubonic plague outbreaks. Mm. By June of 1665, the roads were clogged with people trying to leave London. 
Now, right. of course, this could be people who are infected with the plague, with plague trying to get surrounded out, by other and then uninfected spread people, it, spread it to other places nearby. Yeah. So, uh, quite wisely, the Lord Mayor closed the gates of the city for all of those who did not have a certificate of health. Hmm. which ended up okay. becoming more valuable than gold and gave rise to a thriving forgery market. Naturally. Uh, author Samuel <laughs> Pepys actually wrote a really good bunch of articles about what was happening in London during that plague, and he right. mentioned walking around the streets of London and not seeing very many rich people anymore right. because they had all gone and bought some certificates of health in order to get out of the city. Yeah. In mid-July 1665, there were about 1,000 deaths per week reported in London. In August, there were 6,000 deaths per week that was the peak of the plague. People thought that dogs and cats were responsible for spreading the disease, so they started killing them. But uh, dogs and cats catch rats and kill them. That's exactly the problem. Oh. <laughs> Author Daniel Defoe, in his Journal of the Plague Years, estimated 40,000 dogs and 200,000 cats were killed, and this led to the disease being spread more rapidly due to the extermination of the natural enemies of rats and mice. I was oh. actually really, really disappointed when looking up old-timey remedies for plague, yeah. people were really unimaginative. Like compared to the enormous number of things that people tried to do for tuberculosis right. and people tried to do for cholera. I mean, and leprosy. Yeah. And oh, the leprosy. Those were great. Yeah. Your your most imaginative cure is to you know like tie either live or dried toads and or pigeons and or chickens right. to the buboes. Um, sure. <laughs> Well, it feels nice anyway. But then people really <laughs> so. took this up in droves and, and seemed to, you know, not come up with much else. You were probably hoping that the disease would leave you and go into the other animal, I guess? Maybe. Well, the thing with the toads, I think people, there, I read something about them hoping that the toads would suck out all the pus and blood and then burst and die. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess this also gets rid of your toad problem. This is this huge, like, humorous thing again. Yeah. One little addition to the end of this, the plague broke out in the village of Iam in Derbyshire, brought on by a shipment of old clothes sent from London. The villagers, led by their courageous clergymen, realized that the only way to stop the spread of the plague to surrounding villages was to voluntarily quarantine the village, refusing to leave until the plague had run its course. This they did, though the cost was 259 dead out of a total of 292 inhabitants. What's 292 what? minus 259? 33. I hate those 33 guys. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, they are... Uh, I don't trust them. <laughs> they were harboring all the toads? Maybe. <laughs> toad orders. One of, the, one of them is the killer. Putting toads down their pants. And yeah. as horrible as that is, that was probably the right decision. If even a couple of the people had been infected and fl not knowing it yet and fled, they could have spread it to all the other well, villages and it just would have repeated. You thought a village of 292 people was boring before the plague. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty much going to put a fork in your nightlife. On the plus side, you have 10 times as many houses to own. Oh, what Because if, everybody like, else has died. Oh, yeah. Like, that one's mine now, and so is that one. That wonderful <laughs> plague-infested house. Although I, I think it was the Justinian plague, uh, I'm pretty sure that the ruler, uh, instead of sort of, you know, quelling taxes and that kind of thing for that period, actually charged people for the taxes of their dead neighbors as well. <laughs> oh, nice. Also, he apparently, Justinian, caught the yeah. plague and survived. Yeah. 
which is why they call it the plague of Justinian, and people hated him. For oh, it. because they, they thought he caused. They it? thought he was responsible, and then of course with the, I didn't know about the taxing thing. But yeah, he had all these like big public works projects that he didn't really put on hold. He was just like, no, gotta pay for this stuff. Less people, more money. <laughs> Dude, yeah, we we've true. got simple fi- math. It's accounting. We've got fifty million people right now, so we need roads big enough for them. But yeah. we're all gonna die. <laughs> 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 The Black Death followed a period of population growth in Europe, which, combined with two years of cold weather and torrential rains that wiped out grain crops, resulted in a shortage of food for humans and rats. This caused people and animals to crowd in cities, providing an optimal environment for disease. Mm -hmm. And that cold period was actually called the Little Ice Age because Mm. it had such a, a profound effect on um, agriculture. agriculture. Yeah. Little Europe. ice ages are much more cute than the big ones. <laughs> Winter is coming. I think. I think that's the. Mini. That's the. That's the next. Uh, you know, spin-off ice age movie. Mini ice, ice age. Yeah. Little, little ice like, age. Yeah, it's like uh, like baby Muppets, right? The Muppet main babies. The main character will be an infected rat. <laughs> It'll be that one rat that's always going after that acorn. Just this time, he'll be infected. Medieval doctors believed the plague had at least one of several causes. Many thought it was a punishment from God for the sins of the people. Of course it was. We don't hear that anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thankfully, we're over that superstition. (laughs) Virtually nobody suspected the ever-present rats and fleas. Uh, The Jews were often accused of causing the plague to destroy Christians. Oh, the Jews. There was enormous persecution of the Jewish community during this time. After being tortured, some Jews confessed that they were poisoning wells and other water sources, creating the plague. As a result, Jews were expelled or killed by the thousands. As a result of forced confessions, the entire Jewish population of Strasbourg, Germany, was given the choice to convert to Christianity or be burned on rows of stakes on a platform in the city's burial ground. About 2,000 were killed. Lesser two evils, go! (laughs) And apparently, you know, once you convert to Christianity, you're no longer infectious. Uh, yeah, this is no, what this is telling absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're less likely to poison a well. The other group of people that were actually persecuted during this time were people with skin diseases that they figured were possibly spreading this. Right. So right. more of a contagion theory, but misdirected. So a lot of people with uh, leprosy, actually, as well as psoriasis, were just oh decimated. Oh, I would have. Me in high school would have been in big trouble. Oh, yeah. Acne probably as well. Really. Oh, face plague. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) For face plague, you don't actually have to burn the whole person at stake. You just have to take off the head to get the infected part. No problem. Just got to hit the infected area. The rest rest you can go on on without any trouble. (laughs) The rest of you can go on for as long as you can go on. (laughs) Hey, Mike the the chicken did it for like 18 months. No, that's true. In our decapitation episode. Yeah. Bodies, of course, were piled up inside and outside city walls where they lay until mass graves could be dug. Uh, of course, it got to the point where, you know, when a third of the population dies, you just can't bury people fast enough. Yeah. yeah. It's like you need two thirds of the population to bury the one third that's dying. And then, of course, that keeps them standing around a big pile of bodies, <laughs> which all the rats really like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well as, I mean, for uh, the septicemic form, especially if you have an open wound and or like any open skin at all and do touch infected tissue, mm-hmm. then that's a method of transmission as well. No. So you can get it from the fleas, you can get it from the air if people have the pneumonic form, and you can get it through the skin. I was in uh, Vienna, and uh, they have a catacomb under the giant cathedral in the uh, the old town square in Vienna. And they you can do these like little guided tours, right? And uh, at the very beginning of the tour, the guy gets up there and he goes... He says something in German and like, you know, 90% of the people hold their hands. Then he goes, like this? Yeah, no, not no. like that. 
not like that. We're in I think I'll, I think all the listeners knew <laughs> yeah. what what I was doing with my hand just there. Uh, and then he goes, uh, "And who would like the tour in English?" Oh. And it was just me in the back. I went, I'll take it in English, right? <laughs> so he'd go. We'd go into each room, and we'd go into the first chamber, and he would talk for like five minutes, and then he would go, "And now in English, here is where the cardinal is." Next room, right? <laughs> and he did this, like room after room after room. And then we walked in this room and it was piled from floor to ceiling with human bones, right? Yeah. And he went on for like 10 minutes in German. And he goes, until in English is where the priest puts the body. Next room. And I'm like, no, that's not enough. I need to know about a room full of dead bodies. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was like, it was plague related. What they did, they actually removed a wall so that you could see it from the catacomb side, but it was an enclosed space that only had a hole in from the top. Oh. And they would just, and they didn't do mass graves. They had these catacombs. They sealed it off on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So the only way to get in there was to like through the small body-sized hole in the top. Yeah. So they were just dumping dead bodies down into it. a big funnel and a, so and a, a big funnel. stick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shove it down in there. Was, and so when you go up in the top of the end of the tree, you can actually look down the hole and you see it's kind of like a pyramid of bodies, right? <laughs> and this is something that really causes a problem for those going... I'm not quite dead yet. <laughs> I feel happy. I feel oh. happy. But I thought that was a particularly creative uh, way to avoid the mass graves or leaving the bodies around and whatever, just letting them all rot in this like bricked up hole in the ground. Serves them right. Can yeah. the rats climb in the pyramid and get out? I don't know. Can they jump from the top body to the edge of the room? I'm thinking probably. Well, well the rats maybe. don't have to jump all the way to the top because then when they get to this, their apex, then the fleas can jump off of the top. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
In the news. <laughs> July 2012, Oregon. Doctors will amputate an Oregon man's fingers and his toes next week, which were ravaged by the Black Plague. In Oregon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Paul Gaylord, 59. Oh, he deserves it. Is recovering at the St. Charles Medical Center in Bend, Oregon, after he contracted the plague in early June. Only five to ten cases of the plague occur each year in the United States, predominantly in the southwestern part of the country, making it more rare to have a case in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. In Gaylord's case, he contracted the disease from his family cat, Charlie, when he tried to remove something bulging from the cat's throat. Gaylord reached into the animal's mouth to remove the bulge, which turned out to be a rodent. Oh, okay. When he was unable to dislodge the mouse, Charlie lashed out at Gaylord, attacking him. Okay. Bite Cats, the hand man. that tries to make Remove it so you can from feed. your throat. Yeah. Gaylord shot Charlie to end the animal's suffering and buried the pet, who had been a part of the family and was loved for six years. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Wait. He, the cat attacked him to the degree where he had to shoot it to defend himself? I guess it was dying because it, like, it, oh, had, the, it had this thing uh, lodged, the thing lodged in his throat. throat. I have a feeling that Kevin's answer is closer to the truth. It's Could like, be. no, <laughs> I killed it to put it out of its misery and or the stupid animal bit me. <laughs> uh, two days later, Gaylord awoke with flu-like symptoms. Ooh, uh -oh. I see where this is going. He visited a doctor who had diagnosed him with cat scratch fever. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So Ted Nugent had been in his house. And advised him to return if his symptoms worsened. A few days later, they did. <laughs> he was pale as a ghost, and sweat was dripping off of him. Gaylord was taken to the hospital where his family was told he was in grave condition, and his organs were beginning to fail. The cat <sighs> was dug up from Gaylord's yard and tested positive for the plague. The cat did? Yep. Oh, okay. Gaylord spent a month in the intensive care unit. He will uh, return to the hospital in a few weeks for amputation of decayed fingers and parts of his toes. Oh, he will no longer be able to continue his work as a welder, but he's very optimistic and knows he is lucky to be alive. I mean, as much as we say, if you're lucky, you wouldn't have caught it. But I mean, he kind of is lucky to be alive because it was a few days later, right? And we've yeah. seen how fast yeah. this, this can go untreated. Yeah. No, for sure. And black fingers and toes being amputated. The Black Death that killed 50 million Europeans six centuries ago is the ancestor of all the modern plagues we have today worldwide, said the scientists who decoded its entire genetic structure from the teeth of long-dead Londoners in 2011. Oh, okay. Cool. And this actually put to rest some controversy of the cause of the Black Death mm -hmm. uh, because there's some uh, discrepancies between the spread of the plague versus the uh, concentration of rat population versus the concentration of human population and that kind of thing. And people crunching those numbers figured that the modern Y pestis populations that we see today wouldn't be capable of causing a spread that fast. Oh, but okay. then the bones had been dug up from plague victims from and tested. Graves, yeah. yeah, and, and the Y uh, pestis bacteria was found in uh. the remains of those people saying, yes, it was caused by that bacteria. Oh, okay. So some people were like, um, the Black Plague we got now is nothing to the Black Plague they had back then. It was like uh, totally rewriting history for nostalgia's sake. Well, and also, I mean, the bacteria evolve as well. So, for example, in that Justinian Plague, it's almost certain that that was caused by a strain of Y. pestis that no longer exists. Okay. Because it was too awesome? 
Well, you can have self-limiting infections if it kills people too fast, but I don't really know, seeing as how the last emergence of that was in 750, whether or not that's the case. All right, okay. It's, this is like the bacterium that would walk up the hill both ways in the snow to school, right? Yes, yes, it is that bacterium. Yeah. It is. Scientists showed that the ancient genome sits at the root of an evolutionary tree that comprises 17 contemporary strains of Y. pestis. This indicates that the Black Death strain spawned many of the forms of Y. pestis that infect humans today. And that scientific team is now looking for genetic changes that would account for the Black Death's ferocity. To better understand how the plague worked, researchers could try to resurrect the Black Death pathogen by modifying the genomes of contemporary Y. pestis strains. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> no, that sounds like such a fantastic plan. No, it sounds like the beginning of a movie. No, you know what it is? It's mini Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We can, yeah. It can be the, the what they put in the box set with mini Ice Age. Right, yeah, and, and Muppet Babies. <laughs> Muppet Babies. I think you'd like that one. Dreams come true. <laughs> Despite the small number of cases today, there are steps people can take to help prevent contracting the disease. In the Southwest, where it is more endemic, if you're going out in the wild, particularly where there are rodents that are known to carry the plague, you ought to tuck your pants in your boots. <laughs> Foolproof! <laughs> <laughs> well, keep, some... keep your fleas from uh, getting getting you an ankle, yeah. ankle biter-wise. Exactly. All right. Well, some of the, you know, simplest advice for the plague can be the best. The ancient Greeks had, you know, some plan for the plague, and it was sito, longe, tarde, by which they meant leave quickly, go far, far away, and come back very slowly. <laughs> right. That's good advice. Yeah, that's good advice for a lot of different things, not just the plague. August 22nd, 2012, just earlier this week. Three ground squirrels found at Palomar Mountain Campgrounds, this is by San Diego, have tested positive for plague, San Diego County officials said Wednesday. Plague infections are now rare among humans, but at least a few squirrels in higher elevations around Palomar Mountain or Julian are found during routine testing each year, said Chris Conlon, supervising vector ecologist for the San Diego County Vector Control Program. The county post- How many vectors do they have? They need a full-time guy who just, like, examines vectors. Victor, the vector examiner. <laughs> I wonder if he's also in charge of the armadillos. The county post plague warning signs in areas where the disease is found, officials said. Oh, man. Can, does anybody live there? Can they find one and take a picture of a plague warning sign? That would be awesome. Oh, that would be pretty awesome. There has never been a recorded human plague infection in San Diego County, although there have been several in California, officials said. Fewer than 100 cases were reported over the last decade in the U.S., mostly in California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Two of the infected squirrels found recently were in the Cedar Grove campground. County officials said those in rural mountain areas should avoid contact with wildlife, including sick or dead animals, and stay away from animal burrows, especially while sleeping or resting. Pets should be kept on a leash or left at home, officials said. While the animals are sleeping and resting or while you are? <laughs> while you, while you no are. sleepwalking into animal burrows, especially sick or dying ones. I would say uh, you shouldn't sleep or rest in an animal burrow, I'm guessing. Right. That might be was my advice. weekend plans. <laughs> So, uh, squirrels, fuck them. That's what I say. <laughs> what use are they? They're, they're just rats with bushy tails. Those squirrels are nuts. Yeah. Oh! Formerly, 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 formerly news. <laughs> or as I like to say, olds. Yeah. In uh, 1899 on Oahu, uh, they, oh, wow. there, was, there was a breakout of plague. And so, and this Oahu happened in, in Hawaii. In Hawaii. Okay. And so, no, Oahu, New Jersey. <laughs> I've been there. Don't don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> and so it sprang up uh, in Chinatown, and so the, the the city council people got together and tried to figure out how best to deal with the plague. 
and they decided that a controlled burn of specific buildings would be a good way to wipe out the spread. Unfortunately, Not to the Chinese. Damn those yeah. buildings. <laughs> the fire got a little bit out of control, leaving 4,000 people homeless in Chinatown. Oh, oh there you go. And not only that, if you burn the building, it's not just going to send the rats scurrying for like the four corners of the whatever community you're in. Like, Most likely. Yeah. Depends whether or not rats. I, I know, like you hear about rats deserting a sinking, um, ship? sinking ships, but I don't know about burning buildings. I, I feel would, that would have been. I would think that their instinct would take over and fire bad and then they would <laughs> run away. They might not know the right place to run, but even if like 10% of them figure out is the way to go that's enough to keep this going this like mental image of all these like rats running from a burning building and fleas like riding them like <laughs> slim pickings on the giant bomb and at the end of Doctor Strange and Club. it's Chinatown so yeah. the rats have firecrackers in the mouse <laughs> yeah I want to see a bunch of rats wearing one of those little dragon costumes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be pretty awesome too. With little blink, 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 blink fleas like coming off of it constantly. <laughs> yeah. I watched The Black Death. Okay. With and Sean what, Bean. What is that about? It's about. Whoa, whoa. Let me guess. <laughs> it's about space travel. It's a guy named Death. Said during the time of the first outbreak of bubonic plague in England, a young monk is tasked with learning the truth about reports of people being brought back to life in a small village. Okay. Starring Sean Bean. Uh, so in what way does he die? Because he dies in almost every movie he's ever been in. Who, Sean Bean? Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. Uh-huh. I mean, spoilage alert. Uh-huh. Uh, he dies from the plague. <laughs> I knew it! Actually, no, that's not true. Wait, oh. bubonic, pneumonic, or septicemic? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> How does he die? No, he's, he's uh, killed by the villagers. Oh, well, okay, there you Is go. Is he Jewish? No. He's very <laughs> Christian. Okay. And his family, I believe, have all died from the plague. Okay. It's kind of cool. It's kind of almost like the first half of the movie is kind of like D&D-ish and that they're this group of... The movie starts out with a young monk. Mm-hmm. Let me set the tone. Set the stage <laughs> okay, for you. Okay. Yeah, bring it. There's a young monk. Yeah. He's in love with a girl. Oh, okay. monks can't do that. Uh-huh. But the plague is in the city. Uh-huh. He's all religious and stuff, so he's going to stay with the church. Right. And he sends his girl out. Into the countryside. Leave. Get out of here. She's like, no, no, come with me. No, I can't. You know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So she's out, and she says she's going to meet him. Uh, She's going to be at a certain place at dawn of every day. Right. So For a week, if he changes his mind. Okay. Okay. So he says to God, God. Give me a sign. What to do? I can't make up my mind. So Sean Bean comes into town. Uh-huh. We're looking for a guide to go to some village where there's no plague, and we want to find out why, because we assume they're devil worshippers, and we have to kill them. Okay. And we're bringing our torture devices. Okay. So, okay. So a little Inquisition So the style. dangers of England are either you catch the plague... Or people think because you didn't catch it, you're a devil worshiper and should die. <laughs> Correct. Wow. <laughs> so he says, well, that's the sign. So he leads them out. Right. I won't bore with the details of, of uh, yeah, what happens you know, with a girl. Yada, 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 yeah. dot, dot, dot. But they go to this village. Uh-huh. It's actually, re- I really enjoyed the movie. Okay. It wasn't super great, but, but it has everything up. I wanted in it. Like I said, there's this kind of like in between when they leave the city and they get to this village, they're going through the forest. They're seeing flagellants right. walking down the river. Yeah. Of course, we didn't talk about that, but yeah. a lot of the time there would be these, you know, groups in the dark of, ages, yeah. groups of pestil- uh, penitents. Yeah. They practice ritual flagellants. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was something that was often seen. That's you'll see. And I also started watching Season of the Witch. And any plague movie is going to have flagellants in it. Yeah, it's right. a good visual. Cin- yeah, it's very yeah. cinematic. Yeah. So then there's this, this awesome fight scene where a bunch of bandits in the forest come and attack them. And there's yeah. only like, you know, it was like nine guys against this whole giant group of, it was, it was pretty good. Okay. I watched Flesh and Blood, 1985 movie starring Rutger Hauer, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Wow, 1985, Paul Verhoeven and Rutger Hauer. That's yeah. a pretty all-star. It was it was pretty good. I can't say it was low budget because a lot of the stuff that they did was like really impressive. Yeah. But then it kind of felt low budget in some of the other tighter scenes. Like I'd never heard of this movie before. So they yeah, their battles I nicely. Uh, I was really worried uh, when kind of reading about it, uh, like the general setup about it that it wasn't going to have much in the way of plague, like that maybe they would walk by plague victims or something. But it actually becomes a very major part of the story. Rutger Hauer is a mercenary who works for this lord who wants to retake his city. Uh, he helps him do that and is promised 24 hours of looting. And right. then at the but end, the problem is he's only allowed to take plague victims. Yeah, as they're leaving with all their spoils, the Lord goes, um, "No, I'm going to keep it all," and has cannons pointed at them all and throw down your weapons. And so he gets screwed over by this Lord, and in revenge, attacks uh, the Lord's uh, caravan as it's moving somewhere else and steals other stuff and accidentally steals Jennifer Jason Lee, who is supposed to marry the Lord's son. Okay, he steals a lady. Yeah. And, By accident? <laughs> and trigger warning, there's a lot of raping in this movie. Okay. They, okay. Rutger, this is the problem. Rutger Howe's not really the good guy. He's kind of the main character, he, but he's not a good guy. He's an like, anti-hero. He's the man with no I name. I can't even say anti-hero. He's just he, an anti. He's just a charming villain. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's that's really my only problem with the so, movie. But he is the protagonist. Kind of. But the other so. protagonist is the son of the Lord who's trying to recover. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, she kind of plays along. Like uh, originally, they want to gang rape her, yeah. and Rutger Hauer's character just kind of decides to take her for himself. Right, and then she pretends that she likes it in order to get his protection from everybody else. Right, they head off with all this money that they've stolen from the caravan. They find a castle that has been abandoned because of the plague. Okay, and head inside, and then of course everybody tries to come and get them. They're safe inside the castle, except for the rats. Except for, well, they don't catch it. What happens is that there's some plague victims outside and they start lobbing the bodies inside to try, oh, and, to try and get people infected. Classic. Uh, he's got a, he starts it off, I think, by, he's got a, an urn that I think has, I'm not sure exactly how it has plague in it, but he throws it, it down at them. has got a bunch of boobos. It's a uh, boobo bomb. Yeah, he throws it down at them. Ha ha, you can't get in here. And one of them catches the plague and unrealistically dies within minutes. Like he just Oh, goes, wow. Ah, so that's kind of he died uh, from choking on all they, the fleas they, I think is what happened they didn't want to make it realistic because then it would take you know several days for the guy to catch and die they just right. wanted it to he got the plague he's dead all right, and there's some okay. sword fighting and some really cool stuff there's a siege tower the young son is a big fan of science oh, okay. so he builds this crazy siege tower to like get into the castle uh, it's like a man catapult no it's it's like a big wooden tank basically right. oh, i thought you were gonna say rabbit and i was so excited that would be <laughs> it looks like the bottom of the wooden rabbit it really does look like the bottom with a, with a wooden rabbit and then he comes up and they turn it around they try and set it on fire with arrows and then he for some reason has all these cogs and gears oh, and pulleys yeah, nice. inside it tuk, 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 and it brings up basically like a fireman's ladder except it's you know built out of just logs nailed together sure. and then it extends out to the top <laughs> of one of the main parapets and they sneak in all sorts of weird shit happens people start catching the plague because they sneak it into the water supply and they mm-hmm. again die way too quickly for the plague but you know it's all fine for a movie to do that uh, and I don't want to give away the total ending but you know the bad guys 
sort of lose and the good guys sort of win. It's a Paul Verhoeven. Right. I, there's nobody to really root for. That's that's my only complaint. But everything else that happens is really cool, uh, really good. Okay. The fight scenes are good. The siege of the castle is really cool. The armor that some of the guys are wearing looks great. Uh, it's a fun, interesting movie as oh. long as you can get past the just the. Bad, the badness and the raping and that the, there's nobody who's truly all that good a guy in it. Yeah, yeah that's kind of that's kind of a hallmark of just about every Paul Verhoeven movie, though, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah, isn't it's that kind true. of Verhoeven's thing? It's also called The Rose and the Sword in some of the early VHS releases. Oh. Well, the biological warfare aspect of that has really been well documented for plague uh, throughout history. And I think the earliest thing I could find was around 1347, where the Mongols catapulted victims over city walls of Kaffa, which is in modern Ukraine. And also, in World War II, the Japanese dropped rice and wheat that had rat fleas in it. Oh. Um, so and they, the rat fleas so were they carrying... So they knew about the... Uh, yeah, they, rat... yeah, they did. They fully knew. The and they vectors. dropped it over... I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but... Shuxian. Uh, Shuxian. I don't know. China. The Seventh Seal is one of my... Uh... Favorite Bergman films of all time. What's the play connection? The plot is about a knight that comes back from uh, from the Crusades. Crusades, where uh, I mean, he comes back and he's dead. Right, he arrives on the shore of England and he's already dead. And death, what? He starts out the movie yeah, being dead. Death is standing there waiting for him on the shore, and he says, "You're mine now, right? Yeah, you, you didn't make it." And, uh, and yeah, so he, they, they decide to play chess for his life. Right. And then he's going along and, uh, uh, and sort of setting, you know, things right in his sort of life while he's playing one move at a time with death at every step along so the is way. So he a zombie in this film? Uh, he's the cop between the real world and the next world okay. or whatever. And I believe he died from the play. Okay. Yeah. Do you see any flagellants? No. What? Uh, Disqualified. <laughs> Just a little while ago, I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail outside oh, yeah. at uh, the Fresh Air Cinema that people are doing here mm-hmm. in uh, BC. They set up a big inflatable screen and just invite people to come watch yeah, movies. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's fun, yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, there's the Bring Out Your Dead scene, which yes. is about the plague carts that would be going around England where they just gather up the dead and haul them off. And the, I'm not quite dead yet, as we mentioned, yeah. who they then deal with by clubbing and throwing <laughs> them on the cart anyway. Spoiler alert for a 40-year-old movie almost. <laughs> One of the only things that Y. Pestis does not do to kill its victims. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that. We'll be back when the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while sawing off his own fingers to set Kevin free. For show notes, pictures, and videos, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Visit us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Our Twitter is at causticpodcast. Thanks for listening. 
Zuzuzu, 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 Zuzuzu.